Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the racial disparities that exist within healthcare and also discussing the differences between the natural route to healthcare versus the medical route to equip us all with the knowledge necessary to make informed decisions regarding our healthcare. This week's guest is Dr. Asia Muhammad. She is a naturopathic doctor who values the power of lifestyle modifications to achieve optimal health. She uses evidence-based medicine to provide individualized care to each patient. As a naturopathic doctor, she's able to provide care in the realm of nutrition, exercise recommendations, supplementation, botanical medicine, and mind-body therapies such as hypnosis. I recently started following her on social media. The information she shares is so incredible, and I'm so happy she agreed to come on to Shades of Brown to share some of this information with us. Before we deep dive into the conversation, though, let's get into rocking with Bob. Who is Bob? Y'all know who Bob is. Bob stands for Black-Owned Businesses. This week's Bob highlight goes to Kingdom Culture Collections. Kingdom Culture Collections offer fashion-forward clothing that focuses on faith. I love this brand. I have several pieces from them. They are typically always offering some sort of deal, whether it's 15% off or BOGO sale or free shipping on orders over a certain amount. So go check them out. They have some really, really cool pieces. And they also offer a plus size collection as well. Super, super dope. So check them out at kingdomculturecollection.com. And they're also on social media with that same name as well. So head over to get you a few pieces so that you too can be rocking with Bob. Amp. All right, let's get into the conversation. Let's unpack it. Well, hello, Asia. Welcome to Shades of Brown. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Um, Though I say this all the time, I'm so freaking excited about this episode because I've been following you for a short while now, and I've been blown away by the information that you share. Um, Uh on your social media platforms. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we all need this information. Like we need to be, we need to be equipped with this information to make better decisions regarding our, um, our healthcare. So yeah, let's get into it. All right. So as I stated on my intro, you are a, um, naturopathic doctor. Can you explain what that is and what are the, what are the differences between a naturopathic doctor, an ND versus an MD, a medical doctor? Right. So um, naturopathic medicine has been around um, and it has been in America since America has been established as America, I guess, in terms of people using nature, herbs, food, um, botanicals, and nutrients to kind of get themselves back to an optimal health space. Um, Allopathic medicine, which is MD medicine, um, really didn't burgeon until the latter half or the middle latter half of the 19th century. Um, And a lot of that had to do with backing from big corporate groups or big names like Rockefeller and Carnegie. Um, who basically were these steel industry giants. And at the time, steel was a really big industry. So they made all of their money doing that. And then they used their money to, you know, um, promote interest in specific groups. So the allopathic medical group was one of them. So um, you see this kind of like um, 
what's the phrasing I want to use, like kind of back burner, like a lot of natural healers took because it was like this new shiny scientific doctors and they were all about the scientific process and they could use data and information to say, you have this, take this medication and it's going to help you with X, Y, and Z. But the issue is a lot of like allopathic treatments at that time were really toxic and really dangerous and people actually wanted to use more diet, holistic, botanical medicine. And you didn't really see much of that, um, um, that, that desire for MD medicine, honestly, until you, until maybe like the 20th century, when more people thought like a pill is a good thing, like a pill will help cure all of my ills. Um, and so naturopathic doctors attend a four-year naturopathic medical program, similar to a four-year MD program. Um, but when we learn how to treat patients, we actually learn from a umbrella perspective. So it's not just pharmaceuticals, procedures, or surgeries. We do learn all of that. And in some states, naturopathic doctors can actually prescribe medication. So in Arizona, which is a fully licensed state, I can prescribe or your blood work, do your imaging, everything that a primary care can do, can do there. Um, but in Missouri, where I'm at now, there's no legislation for us. There's only five in the entire state that actually went to the schools and legit schools. So it's really different state to state. And so we use diet, food, we use supplements, we use herbal medicine, we use homeopathy, we use IV therapy, depending on the state to help people like achieve um, their best state of health. And we, a lot of naturopathic doctors typically see really chronic cases of disease. So we see um, the people who have been seen by so many MDs and there's nothing you know, that's helping them or they're tired of taking another medication and nobody's talking to them about their diet. Wow. You said a ton and all the light bulbs in my head are just going off. The minute you said Rockefeller, I'm like, mm, mm. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, that name, I feel like always raises an eyebrow when you talk about like any kind of capitalistic group, which medicine is all about capital and generating money. So it's like, okay, not a shocker, you know? So Rockefeller, Carnegie, like there's some other big names in there as well that put their money into like conventional medicine to promote it and make it be this grand thing when it really wasn't. Wow. So is it safe to say that the medical industry is more so interested in prescribing medicine? in order to profit versus helping us heal? Yeah, I think it depends on what aspect you're looking at. So if you look at it from a pharmaceutical perspective, yes, their bottom line is money, making dollars, making more than they made the last year. When you look at it from a doctor's perspective, I don't think that most doctors go to school with the idea of, I'm going to make so much money prescribing supplements. I mean, prescribing medication. You know, I think most of them really go in with this idea and concept of wanting to help out people and improve outcomes. But I think that that's, it's kind of this like altruistic like avenue whereby it's like, I want to be a good person and help out, but you really don't know how the system works until you get in it. And I know so many MDs and DOs that are just like, you know, so disillusioned or dissatisfied with their profession because pharma does rule a lot of it. And if you speak to a lot of MDs, they actually will have the same opinion in regards to big pharma. Like they're not fans. And so um, I think from a doctor's perspective, the goal is not prescribe more, make more because doctors don't make money prescribing medications. People believe that, but you may get like a trip to a conference or something or a dinner, but you don't get a, like a, uh, like some kind of like kickback for every prescription you write. Well, that's good information to know, because I do know a ton of folks think that I have thought that, you know, like they are, you've, you've got these pharmaceutical companies pushing doctors to prescribe these meds. So it's like, well, let me find a reason, you know, to 
to push yeah, these pills. When I was in, doing residency, I was doing residency at an MD office and we had reps come in every day. Um, and what they do is they bring you lunch. They'll pay for lunch for the whole office and they'll buy you nice fancy steak lunches. It doesn't matter. Like it's on the pharmaceutical company's tab. So they'll buy you whatever you want. Um, if there's a conference or anything, like some of the doctors, they would fly them out and pay for their hotel to stay in the conference and learn about a certain topic or drug. Um, but there's not really individual kickbacks in terms of like you get a check every month if you prescribe 200, you know, ibuprofen. If you prescribe 200 Linzess, you get a check every month. It's not anything like that. I think a lot of people think that. Um, but there's been a huge cap on pharmaceutical companies paying money to doctors in the like past few decades. Wow. That sounds like it, it borders the line of... like ethical violation yeah if you're, but some doctors do receive money from pharmaceutical companies there's actually a website you can get on type your doctor's name in and you can see how much money they've gotten that year from pharmaceutical companies and anybody can get on this website so you can actually see like in what form did people get paid so for example um they if you if you're a doctor who is like prescribing a lot of this drug, Linzess or something, and say you go to another doctor's office to talk about it or give a presentation on it, the company will pay like $5,000 just for you to talk for 30 minutes on a drug. So they do get money that way, but it's not just like based on prescription. They have to actually be doing events and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. People make like tens of thousands of dollars a year from pharma companies just doing talks. We hear a lot about the conspiracy theories surrounding big pharma as if it's a myth, but it seems that this is all very valid that these companies are pushing these new medications with hopes that these doctors will push this stuff. It's like the ultimate yeah. drug you know, dealing. I when I was in residency, I had this rep come because I was prescribing medication. Um, she came and we were talking about diarrhea, IBS diarrhea. And there's like three or four medications at the time, main ones that were used for diarrhea. And her drug was like newer on the market. And obviously she wanted more sales because they, you know, get rankings as reps. And the more, you know, sales you have under your name or listing, whatever, you get a trip to X, Y, and Z, they reward these reps. So we were talking and she's like, well, when you see a person with diarrhea, what are you recommending? them and I go through the list and tell her I'm recommending this 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 she's like well why don't you recommend our medication like you should recommend this and when I would tell her well I didn't it didn't work for this patient well did you ask them this did you do this like they want to know why they're why you didn't prescribe their medication if you did prescribe it and it didn't work they have a solution well maybe it's because you need to ask them to do this 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 like they kind of are these second level doctors which I think also is a problem but um yeah, a lot of reps have inappropriate boundaries when it comes to medical information and dispensing medical information. It's just low-key sounds a lot like drug dealing. Well, it is. It's legal drug dealing. So let me ask you this. In regards to illness and wellness, is there always a natural approach to our wellness needs? Um, I say it depends on the disease and it depends on the severity of the disease. So for example, like sickle cell is something that can be exists on a spectrum. You can have a, just a trait. You can have full-blown sickle cell. I mean, you have different types of sickle cell. And those patients, like, because their cells are sickling, they're um, anemic, right? So they have to get blood transfusions every month sometimes. And there's no, like, natural 
cure. There's no natural reversal of that, you know, it's a genetic thing. And so like that would be a no. And I do manage sickle cell cases. And we, what we do is work on diet and help like focus on helping them get off pain medication because pain's a big thing. So I don't really ever go in like, we're going to get to the root of this disease. For some people, it's just, Hey, I'm in pain. Can you help me with managing the pain? Mm. So that's one thing I will work on. Um, I also will see like cases like heart disease, like obesity, diabetes, those types of cases, you can actually have improvements with diet and lifestyle and natural things. Wow. So um, let's get into the racial disparities in healthcare. There are a ton of racial disparities and there is no way we'll be able to touch on them all. But I want to talk on a few specifically in regards to our current climate. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. We are facing this new virus, coronavirus, um, and there's still a ton of information that we don't know. Um, but what we do know is that black and brown communities are being affected disproportionately. Can you speak to some of the reasons why that is, you know, like, of course, I, I was um, talking on Facebook about this right when it began, you know, it was on my auntie's post and we were talking about, she posted something about um, them trying to test out this vaccine in um, black areas like Detroit or something. They wanted to start testing there. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. If y'all want to test something, go somewhere else and test that crap. Don't start on black and brown bodies, you know, and this, um, this random guy comes and comments basically saying like coronavirus isn't racist. And I'm like, nobody said the freaking virus was racist, dude, you know, like, but there are, there are underlying reasons why this is affecting us in more ways than it is other communities. So can you speak to some of those reasons? Yeah. So some of those reasons include like disproportionate levels of metabolic syndrome, so that's weight pieces, that's blood sugar issues. And when you look at some of the research, um, we find that higher, like the more severe, severe cases of COVID that you see are in patients who have like blood sugar issues, diabetics, people who are overweight. And unfortunately, like in our community, relative to other communities, we have higher relative numbers of that. Um, also there's issues with access to care, right? And so a lot of black people don't really have access to the best doctors. Um, or um, we tend to use like emergency services as our doctor. So for example, we don't go to the doctor until we absolutely positively need to. So we're not really going in for those yearly or, you know, every few months kind of checkups because there is like this huge mistrust and disconnect um, in the communities. And so that's one. Other is like food deserts and like lack of access to healthy food choices. So we're just inundated with all this crap food. And then after a while, it becomes really addictive, you know? So it comes to a point where that's what we're craving, that's what we're eating. Um, and it becomes a mental issue at that point. Not even really just like a, it's a food choice issue, but it has a lot to do with like brain chemicals and food addiction. Could you please speak to that too? Could you go a little bit further in that? Because it annoys me when people speak about wellness in black and white terms. Like if you just did this, you'd have no issues. If you if you were just healthy, we'd be fine. If you were just healthy, you wouldn't have to worry about coronavirus. You know what I mean? Like, can you speak to how like years and years and years of the same habits, there are um, mental reasons behind it, community reasons behind it, generational reasons behind it. Can you like dive a little bit deeper in that? So like we know that food is addictive, addictive meaning the same brain chemicals are produced when somebody is eating certain foods versus uh, compared to when they're like using drugs. So just like drugs are addictive, food is addictive as well. And our body craves certain things. So like fried fatty foods are really addictive. Sugary foods are extremely addictive. So it gets to a point where, you know, consistently having these foods 
you get to a point where you're dependent on them. And people don't realize that. Like we think like, oh, it's just have enough willpower, have the motivation and eat, right? And it's like, it's not really even that. Like there's an entire mental piece that we kind of for just forget to address in terms of food addiction. Um, and I think that it has a lot to do with like your environment where you grow up. And, you know, when you look at a lot of black homes and back black families, like our parents are working, they trying to get stuff done. You know what I mean? And so kids are kind of like, okay, this is what we got to eat. And McDonald's and all these crappy foods are really, really cheap. You know what I mean? So they make it hard for you to resist, you know, engaging with these foods. It's like a dollar for that. Oh yeah. You know, feed the whole family for this kind of thing. And then healthy foods are like meant to be, or not meant to be, but are, seen as like expensive so it's like well what's the point of that when i can just get x y and z from a fast food restaurant so and that's because they're heavily inundated also in our neighborhoods you know what i mean like they know like oh let's put a mcdonald's here burger king there this there it's like it's ridiculous you know how many you look at like liquor stores with like crap food inside of them and then fast food restaurants in black neighborhoods and you don't see like a, a Sprouts or Trader Joe's or like a whatever you gotta go out to like the suburban areas or where white folks live to get like healthy food choices at a reasonable price. Yes, 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 yes. And yes, there are so many layers to that. Even when you think of it in a generational, from a generational perspective, a lot of our food choices was based on what we were given as kids, right? This is what, this is what we were introduced to. This is what we know. And that's what they knew, right? And you trace it all the way back to our ancestors having to create meals from scraps. And using all of these seemingly unnecessary ingredients to create fulfilling meals for their families. And that's what created soul food, right? And that's what, and that's what a lot of our families know. And it's traced back to oppression. So it annoys me that oftentimes to present day, we discuss it in black and white terms because there are so many implications behind the health of black folks. Mm-hmm. It's not just just choose healthy, right? It's like... Exactly. Exactly. It's multifactorial. It's environment. It's stress. It's by design. You know, it's all of those things. And there's not a single one factor that you can blame or say this is the reason why. The last thing I would blame is just lack of motivation or lack of willpower. Like that's the last thing on my list because there's so many other things that have created generational effects. Like it's not just our generation or our parents. It's like, like you said, generational starting from slavery, you know? And so a lot of those foods are, they do feel good to the soul, right? They give you that chemical release that makes you feel good and happy and dopamine is released and other brain chemicals that make you feel happy. And so your brain will start to seek out those foods. And so you think you're choosing it because you know, you just had this idea on your own, but it's really your body body remembering that when you had this last, you felt really good or you felt really happy. So let's wow. choose it again. So a lot of that is, is your brain chemistry. And that's what I'm saying when like, we don't, we fail to work or acknowledge the mental part of it because it's not just like, oh, I'm going to have McDonald's today. It could be that you were, saw, had a suggestion, you were driving down the highway and you saw like a billboard for it and the next day you're at McDonald's and you're like, I wasn't even planning to eat fast food this week. I wasn't planning to eat anything garbage. Like the mind is so powerful. That's interesting because that, that tells me there's science behind why I crave my favorite meal, which is chicken, mac and cheese, collard greens and yams. It's like, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because it makes you happy. And there's probably also really good ex- like memories around those types of meals, memories of family and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, there's more to it than just making a choice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you spoke to something too about like, you know, the different factors like stress and stuff. Can you speak to how 
And we're already talking about how racism affects health, right? This is a part of that. But you mentioned stress. Can you speak to how racism overall affects our physical health? Yeah, so racism is a known stressor. When something is a known stressor, it has physiological effects on the body in terms of hormone secretion, in terms of downregulation of specific processes um, that you don't find in like stress, stress populations. So when somebody's stressed, you know, we know it has detrimental effects on your immune function. We know it has detrimental effects on your gut function. Your stomach does not process things as fast as it would if you weren't stressed, like your gastric processes start to slow down. So, you know, it has effects on your sleep quality, it has effects on your the, the tone of your day. And so, you know, stress is, like I said, the number one killer, but stress is associated with high blood pressure. And a lot of black people have, a lot of people have high blood pressure, but a lot of black people, young, young black people, especially young children have high blood pressure, you know, and there's so many, and you think, what does a kid have to be stressed about? But there's so many stressors around us that we wouldn't even be able to we don't pick up on, um, but stress definitely plays a, 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 a role in our health, especially immune health with all that's going on right now. Yeah. I saw you post about the privilege of health. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah. You know, like we always say like, oh, just do this, just eat more broccoli, just don't just stop eating crap. And it's like, that's a privilege to be in a position to tell somebody how what it's like to be healthy. Because like we said, you have to understand that there are multi like multi factors that come into play when it comes to what health is a lot of them have to do with the environment you look at like, where black people have been positioned through redlining, right, which is like government like policies to strategically keep black people within certain lines of the city and like prevent them from home ownership in certain areas that do have access to these healthier store food choices, education choices, whatever you have you may think of it. But, you know, when you look at the environment, like we said, a lot of black communities are inundated with trash food options, right? So that's around us and that's there. And so a lot of black people are consuming, you know, really crappy foods, not because we just like choose to eat crappy foods is because this is what is in our face. And like I said, the mind is really powerful. And if it tastes good, your body's going to seek it out again. So you get into this habit and being healthy or having access to gyms, you know, having access to, you know, healthy grocery stores of like fresh produce at an affordable rate and having access to, um, I don't know, like better education opportunities and opportunities in general, like that's, that, that all puts you in a better standing for having better health outcomes, you know, having access to jobs where you get quality health care options, you know, puts you in a better standing. So a lot of people have black people have insurance, but it's like really crappy plans, you know, so you still end up not going to the doctor because you don't want to pay all this money out of pocket just to meet a deductible. So it's a lot. And then a lot of black people are in service roles, right? We tend to be the ones serving, not the in the manager role. Like when you go to, uh, I was at a restaurant last night and there's only one black person working there and he was a server. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like he was a young kid, but it's like at the same time, we tend to occupy less of those roles of manager positions that give us opportunity to have better you know, benefits or give us opportunity to work from home. A lot of us can't work from home with COVID because we work in service industry. So you either don't have a job or you work going out and working means you're more exposed to possibly getting coronavirus, which is like, yeah. Yeah. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, naturopathic medicine, is this type of care covered under most insurances? No, nope. most naturopathic doctors, um, you pay out of pocket. So I do accept, like, for people to come see me, I do accept, like, HSA. So they have, like, health spending accounts or health savings accounts and um, flex spending accounts. Like, they can use those. But unfortunately, like, 
insurances do not cover everybody doctors insurance barely cover like md doctors you know in, in like primary care settings like they're always you know squabbling about the reimbursement from insurance companies so even if we have the opportunity to set, accept insurance i don't really think i would just because i don't want to deal with all that headache and it's easier for people to know this is my fee this is what you get this is it pay it don't pay it let's keep it moving but insurance you got to build them you got to wait for them to reimburse you if you you might say like I think this service was worth $100. Insurance will say, well, we're going to give you 60 You know, so it's like you're always in that constant battle. And I knew a doctor who had to see 60 patients a day just to pay the staff and just to pay the bills. And then anything after was kind of, or 45, anything after that was what they took in for their income. So I would not want to deal with insurance, to be honest with you. Jeez. Wow. Well, that breaks it down. But still, though, it's unfortunate that we have insurance to cover medicine but not insurance to cover like a natural approach to our wellness which well, it's, it's all a, it's all a systematic design you know like it's all systematic design and you know it's all it's all another industry and like insurance is just another industry you pay all this money x amount of dollars a month and you can't even use it because you got to spend another few thousand just to be able to use it you know it's, it's all crooked in my opinion and there are some great benefits to having insurance obviously but it's America. Man, you talking about a scam. Insurance is a scam. This is the biggest scam. <laughs> Capitalism is a scam. <laughs> uh, so earlier in the episode, you, you mentioned, you know, our distrust amongst doctors and um, medical professionals. Can you speak to some of the reasons why there is like extreme distrust amongst black folks? Because we don't be believing nothing. Like we don't believe the government, we don't believe our doctors, we don't believe nothing, man. But there's reason behind that because there's so many cases where they've shown us they cannot be trustworthy. Can you, so can you speak to something? I really want you to talk about the CIA mosquitoes, but you can speak on the Tuskegee experiment. I mean, there are endless yeah, cases. I mean, there are endless, endless stories. And the crazy thing is there's this one book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. She kind of de details the majority of what I speak about. I've read her book a few times, so I'll just kind of pull stuff from there and then pull stuff from my own research and try to put it in useful information on my Instagram. But, you know, there's just like endless documentation, even present day, you know, or the black maternal mortality rate, you know what I mean? Like even present day, you see these kind of gross health disparities that are killing black folks. So, you know, it kind of started, not kind of, it started early and when we were enslaved, you know, and black bodies were pretty much used um, however, slave masters or white folks saw fit. And one of those ways was in medical education, you know. So medical education did not really burgeon, like I said, like the conventional MD doctors. It didn't really burgeon until the 19th century. And so you see a lot of like these medical schools kind of popping up, just like the 1800s. And what you find is that, you know, one of the large draws to becoming a doctor was the ability to dissect a cadaver or a human body, you know, because before that, how you became a doctor was you went and studied with a doctor for two years and you took a test. Then they started creating official programs, medical schools, and then you had a cadaver gross anatomy dissecting it. Those were black bodies that they were dissecting. And what they would do is pay black people to go grave rob. So they would go pay black people under the table to go and dig up bodies that had just been buried, you know, slaves or sharecroppers, black folks that have been buried, build, dig them up and bring them to these schools. So if they got in trouble, it was always a black person that got in trouble because they were the one that the school paid to go and grave rob. And so even in death, you know, slaves weren't even free because, you know, these schools are like using their bodies. And so that's kind of like medical education when you think about how it started. 
obviously black people were not even allowed to go to medical schools, right? So that's like out of the question. I know it's, it's mind blowing when you think about what yeah. black people have been through in terms of just being in this country, being black people. So that's it. one, like you can talk about the, the, the guy, Dr. Marion Sims, who was the white guy experimenting on black women to figure out, you know, um, his like the gynecological exam and using all these like ratchet tools on them and just didn't give black people any kind of pain medications because he didn't feel like black women felt pain the same way that white people felt pain. So these are women he's like doing vaginal procedures on experimenting on them with I honestly could not even imagine and so you hear about that you know everybody knows about the Tuskegee experiment where these black men had syphilis and there was actual treatment penicillin that came out and they did not give it to them because they wanted to study the progression of the disease so then instead of them giving these black men medication they let them progress to all the different stages because they needed you know to study it and it's like we're not there for your studies we're not you know in lieu of giving them adequate treatment that would have like prevented a lot of the, these like life ailments that they had relative to syphilis. They didn't care to do that. They wanted to experiment and see what was going to happen. So that's a big major one. That was something that was funded by the government, FYI. Um, so that's a major one. I mean, you just, you can just go down the list of like yeah. genocide on black women, native women, and like the high, you know, recommendations of not abortion i wasn't going to say that but i was going to say the use of um there was an entire yeah sterilization i'm sorry the sterilization of the black women the mississippi appendectomy where they would go in to get an appendectomy get their appendix taken out and the doctor would just make a decision to also take the uterus out so it's like you automatically have life taken out of you it just like there's absolutely no reason why a black person should trust the medical institution there's no reason why we should even actually trust them. There's like a pharmaceutical scandal with this pharmaceutical medication um, where this company said that the medication was worked especially well in black people, but that's not actually what happened in the study. They just lied. And so, you know, that was like in this century, this was like 20th, this was 21st century, you know, so that this happened. So these aren't like things that are happening like hundreds of years ago, they're still happening. So there's no reason why black people should trust the medical industry, like none. So when they talk about these new, like, vaccines and how black people should get them first because these are the populations that are struggling it's like now how about you guys take it first yeah we see what happens there yeah we'll see what happens please share the cia mosquitoes experience yeah so the cia basically it was in texas i'm not sure if it was fort worth i had to go back and look at that my slide but things like fort worth or one of these like big um texas military bases i'm sure it's fort worth and basically what they did was like millions of mosquitoes they kind of um uh, infected with a specific i don't know if it was specifically dengue or yellow fever but they were trying to study the effects of this disease so what they did was um there was this village called carver village it was like a black um, majority black area and what they did was release these mosquitoes in these in these black areas to allow all these black folks basically to get stung and become vectors or infected with the, whatever the disease they were trying to study and there are like accounts of people saying that black folks accounts of them saying like yeah there was these white guys that came by at certain points during that summer that year and they asked us if they could, you know, put a box in our backyard because they wanted to just study the, like, the mosquitoes. And we were like, yeah. Yeah, they were studying them. They released them there. So they, I guess, wanted to capture some of the mosquitoes and take them back and see, I don't know what they were looking for in terms of after they released them. But, yeah, there are accounts of people saying, like, yeah, these men came and put boxes in our backyard and said they just were here to study the mosquitoes, but we didn't know what was going on. And so many Black people had so many weird symptoms coming up, um, sick, going to their doctors very often for, like, these weird issues relative 
to all these mosquitoes. So that was the CIA that did that. You know, that was the government. And they had these military bases where they had, they said millions of mosquitoes were released a day. You know, so it's like, we don't have any reason to trust the government. People are like, oh, trust the government. Why? Oh my goodness. Like I am feeling all kinds of emotions right now um, with this information because it's just, it's insane. So who do we trust? Who do we turn to for the person who maybe can't afford natural medicine, who can't afford to see uh, a naturopathic doctor or, you know, is maybe leery about that too, because it's just like, listen, I've only, I've always just known my primary physician. Who do we trust? How do we know if they're trustworthy? Is it just pushing more black doctors? Because my doc, my primary, well, all my doctors are black and I pretty much trust them because there's this relatability factor. And I trust that they have my best interest at heart because they, they are me. I am them, you know, like my primary physician is a, a black man who's probably in his like fifties or sixties. So he's like a father figure. And it's like, whatever you say, I'll listen because you're like my yeah. uncle, you know? Yeah. So is that the answer? Is natural approach the answer? Like, who can we trust? Um, I think there has to be some kind of integrated approach whereby you have a doctor that's willing to work with, you know, the primary um, model of medicine, or you have a naturopathic doctor in your back pocket that you can trust because you can also go to a naturopathic doctor and get a ton of crazy protocols and be like, what, what is this? You know, you can go to a natural doctor and they put you on 50 supplements and you're like, what? So, you know, it just depends on what your goals are. And I would say, everybody, you have to be your own advocate and you have to do your own research. So you know, okay, what I can and cannot do. I mean, I hate to say YouTube, but there are tons of great resources on YouTube and and doctor um, YouTube channels where you can just kind of listen, listen to a few different people's opinion on the topic. And then when you go to your doctor, you'll be more well-informed about what the options are. You can ask them about that. Um, But I would say, you know, a lot of chiropractors also do holistic medicine in terms of offering other options. I'm not sure. And here in Missouri, it's a thing because this is like a big chiropractor state. So I'm not sure if it's a thing like in other states where you don't have a lot of chiropractors, but a lot of them do functional medicine too, where they'll talk about your diet and supplements. But a lot of them mostly um, outside of Missouri, I'm not sure if they do do that. I, I wouldn't be able to say, but yeah, I think, you know, you know, obviously trying to find a black doctor, like you said, the relatability factor, um, but sometimes even black doctors are just black doctors, you know, they're going to do the same thing, push the same medication. Mm-hmm. It just depends. You can find MDs that are functional. So these are the ones who do try to do more holistic therapies. Um, those are some things also. Yeah. How can we um, like better support and encourage the next generation of Black students to seek careers in this so that we can be advocates for our community? Mm, I think that you have to kind of just immerse your children in everything and let them decide, you know, so let immerse them in the good and bad of MD medicine, the good and bad of naturopathic medicine, or just so both sides. So you have a really fair um, objective viewpoint of what you're going to get yourself into. Um, and I think that medicine is shifting. So I think that regardless of what path they choose to take, you're going to now be, um, surrounded with more options around nutrition education and botanical education. So even like conventional medical schools, they're now starting to integrate nutrition into their curriculum. So whatever route you take, I think that it'll be forced because people are just tired of taking pills and being told just to do it. They want to know what can I do with my diet? Hey, is there anything I can eat for this or anything else I can take? So. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, that's really good information. I think the key is exposure. 
is knowing that um Naturopathic doctors exist, you know. It's like yeah. people are like, well, I've never heard of that before. It's like a lot never. of people say I've never heard of it. And it's like, yeah, I didn't either until I was in school. But um, yeah. Yeah, this is my first time knowing of it. Because even when I invited you to be a guest, I still didn't know you were indie. I thought you were a medical doctor. Yeah, yeah so exposure is key and exposing our kids to all, all the things um, so that they know they have options other than, you know, the handful of options our kids believe are available. Um, my last question is, can you give us some tips for... Um, better health. We, we talked about, you know, how our neighborhoods have liquor stores and McDonald's and Burger King, but don't have a, a Sprouts or a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. You know, we talked about the stress factor of racism and how that affects our physical health. All of these reasons why we have all of these um, stumbling blocks, I guess, we have against us when it comes to caring for our physical health and our mental health and all things wellness. Right. And these are not excuses. They are just realities. But can you give us some tips on how we um, seek out better choices, how we begin to frame our minds to see things in a wellness perspective and to take care of ourselves better? What can that single mom do right when she's in a rush and needs something convenient? What can the person who may not have the best health care do? What are some tips you have for folks who want to be who want to live a healthier lifestyle but they just feel like they have everything stacked against them I would say um number one is when you do grocery shop try to shop on the outside of the store like the outer perimeter of the store you're going to find more of your produce and fresher products there um you have to use like fruits and vegetables as like healthy snack options right so one thing I always tell people is don't bring it into the house. So if it's like cookies or chips or whatever, don't even buy it and bring it into the house. If you bring it into the house, you're going to eat it. So I'm like, if you want something that's crappy food or you want some cookies, like eat it when you're out, you know, get a small amount and eat it when you're out. Don't bring it home because you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be there. Um, that's one thing is just don't buy that stuff. Um, second thing is like, finding cool ways to enjoy fruits and vegetables. So like apples and like almond butter with cinnamon and nutmeg is really, really good. And children love it. Or like carrot sticks with like a healthy hummus dip is really good. Like as a snack. Um, I mean, there are lots of like little bitty finger foods, like those little bitty oranges you can eat. Um, I typically always recommend people avoid like sodas and juices just because they're just so much crap and essentially high fructose corn syrup which is just horrible for you and then phosphates which mess up your kidneys so i will typically say like okay the basics you can do is just you know shop on the outside of the store and get a lot of fresh produce um i'm not 100 percent like okay with canned foods but there are some really great canned vegetables that you can do so if you're like in a bind one really good thing that i this is like my this is something that i really love i'm embarrassed to say but i love canned beans and canned greens like it's like my favorite thing and I love it and so I don't even like like recommending canned foods is all the chemicals in cans but it's like if you're in a in a bind like just get some canned foods you know that if you're in a rush you can like just heat them up and go um and then like there's some really cool cookbooks but you have to get into it because it's like we can say like we're so we're too busy for you know this too busy for that but at some point you're gonna die you know what I mean? we all gonna die and it's like a matter of what you're gonna die from and at what age you're gonna die and like we all want to live to be old and healthy and not just be old but be old and have a quality of life because you don't want to get old and be bedridden you know because you can't walk because your joints are achy so it's like 
it's relative and people will always feel like, well, I'm just so busy. I don't have time. It's like, you got to make time. You got to figure out like plan it in a week in advance. Like what I do is make bulk smoothies. So I'll make a big batch for the week and just put it in a little container. So every day I don't have to worry about pulling everything out and blending it up. So that's one thing you can do. It's just like try to get in extra fruits and vegetables. And the only way you can do that is with a blender, get a blender, use your blender and just blend up something every day or every week. That's good. That those are really good tips. And you are right. When you bring it in your house, you are going to eat it. <laughs> if you get a half gallon of ice cream, you're going to eat the whole half gallon. Let me tell you, you're going to. I, um, growing up, my house um, was considered like the snack house because my mom kept the pantry stocked with snacks. And I am now that person. Like I'm the snack. I'm the snack queen. Like you, you want some snacks? I got you. What you want? Sweet, salty, in between both. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I like snacks too. I just try to do healthy snacks. So I like bag popcorn with like ginger ale but i do the um sugar-free ginger ale from trader joe's it's really good so like that's kind of my snack um i love oatmeal in uh so it's just like an old person's food like, <laughs> i love oatmeal as a dessert like nobody eats that as a dessert um or like frozen fruits that i'll blend in my vitamix and make like ice cream like a nice cream out of um every now and then i will eat like really crappy foods like one thing i love 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 i have not had all year is cinnabon like i love cinnabon um but it's like 56 grams of sugar and i just can't even do it so that's like the one treat i will treat myself once a year to like a cinnabon wow um, she said once a year y'all she said once, once a year <laughs> so good and i just i'm like listen i can only do this once a year my grandma makes like macaroni and cheese so i'll eat that maybe once a year but i mean once a year girls <laughs> dairy just gives me a lot of mucus congestion and then like like, I don't know. I don't really eat pasta that often, to be honest with you. If I do eat it, it's brown rice pasta, which is like you can get at Trader Joe's. It tastes just the same. It cooks just the same. See, um, y'all be saying that, oh, it's just the same. No, it ain't. <laughs> have you had brown rice pasta? No. It's the same. I, I don't say that about a lot of stuff. Like, I don't say that often. Like, you know, brown rice pasta, it, it tastes exactly the same as regular pasta. Like, I, like my niece eats pasta like crazy. She can't tell the difference. Huh, okay. So I'll try it. Try it. Try the try the spaghetti, the, the spaghetti noodles. I wouldn't try the, the um I wouldn't try to use it in mac and cheese because the texture will be off if you cook the noodles and if you bake the macaroni, it's just gonna mess up the texture of the noodle. But if you make it like spaghetti or just like like a stove top type pasta, it'll work just fine. All right, I'm gonna try it. Y'all be saying that yo, it's just the same have a flavor. You know, pasta doesn't have a flavor. It's just right. pasta. You know what I mean? You gotta season it. So it's the same with the brown rice pasta. It's just that texture in the carb that you're getting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Y'all try it out too, and we can all mm -hmm. tell each other how we enjoyed it. Cause let me tell you something. My mac and cheese gotta be busting. Okay. Like, yeah, I would say use regular noodles for mac. If my grandma used brown rice pasta, I would go off on her and I would not go off on her. <laughs> <laughs> what I came over here for. So, yeah. Cool. 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 This has been um, a phenomenal conversation, a very informative conversation. Um, and for me, a very challenging conversation. I'm for sure. I'm going to be challenging uh, or um, changing, changing some things. Um, and my approach to wellness. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, let's get into these brownie points. Uh, brownie points is where we give ourselves some extra credit, a little bit of love um, for something that we're proud of. 
We all have, or we often have habits of um, being down on ourselves for all the things that we didn't do or things we didn't say or things we didn't complete. Um, So this is the moment we get to reflect on what we have done well and to love on ourselves for it, you know, and maybe even give yourself a treat for it. Maybe you want some, what is it? Nice cream, not ice cream. Maybe you want some oatmeal for dessert. You know what I'm saying? Give you a... (laughs) So, um... Asia, what are you giving yourself brownie points for? Uh, I'm just giving myself brownie points for being consistent with my social media because that was a big thing for me like earlier this year. And I was just like, let me just be consistent. And so I actually really like it now in terms of like reading research and like finding out new things and being able to put it in a format where people can digest it also. So that's me. I'm just, I feel like more consistency with my social media is something I'm actually proud of. And let me say, as a consumer, I appreciate your consistency because it's so good. It's so, so good. And like you said, like it doesn't it doesn't overwhelm me, you know, like not not the stories are my like some of the, you know, documentation you post about is like mind blowing. But it's not overwhelming from the sense that, you know, it's like, wait, what are you talking about? These are like doctor terms. I don't get this. It's like. I can digest it and then you make it all cute and pretty and stuff. So I appreciate, I appreciate you. So thank you. While we're at it, tell the people what your socials are. My Instagram is at dr.asiamuhammad, A-S-I-A-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D, all A's. Um, And then my Facebook is at dr.asiamuhammad. There's no dot. It's just dr.asiamuhammad. And that's, that's it. Cool. I am giving myself brownie points for putting myself on a super strict budget. Um, I have typically always budgeted, but it's been a bootleg budget because I have, you know, overspent for years and years and years. And quarantine has shown me a lot about myself. And one of the... Man, and one of those things I've realized is that I have a ton of unnecessary spending. And um, so, yeah, I've got some goals. So I'm back on my Dave Ramsey bit and I am snowballing and um, I'm going to finally get rid of this credit card debt that I accumulated in my early 20s. So. Yeah, I'm giving myself brownie points for being on a strict budget. All right, y'all, please share with me, share with us what your brownie points are. Go over to Shades of Brown podcast on Instagram and or Facebook and share with us in the comments under the brownie points post what you're giving yourself brownie points for. And y'all, y'all really do uplift my spirits when you share with me what your brownie points are. It really makes me happy. So please share with me. Thank you again, Dr. Asia, for um, coming on this this was so great. And we'll for sure have to keep in touch. Like this is one thing, one thing I love about podcasting is like my, I'm, I'm making so many new friends and I love it so much. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Thank you for having me on and helping to get the word out there about medical industry. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share? Any projects you're working on or anything? Um, so yeah, my sister and I, we have a docu-series coming out on Amazon Prime sometime soon, this year for sure. It's called The Art of Natural Healing. So we filmed it all last year and our our director has been like just trying to get it out there. So we know it's going to be released on Amazon Prime for sure, just waiting on like the release date. So that'll be out like hopefully in the next month or less than that. Um, but yeah, you can go to my website, www um com, and there's a little banner at the top you can click on and it'll link you to the site for it that that is so dope oh my goodness come on black girl magic yes Yes. (laughs) yeah i'm really excited about it 
I love it so much. I will definitely be checking that out for sure. And listeners, y'all, y'all check it out too. All right. Well, thank you again. This has been wonderful. You take care, girl. Thank you. You too. Bye. Wow, guys. That was a lot of information. So much of that I had never even heard. Like the grave robbers having Black folks go dig up bodies from the ground to work on. Whew, that, that is crazy. This episode for sure gives us further language as to why our community is so skeptical of everything and everyone. These industries, the government, no one has given us a reason to trust them. You know, this is why I say we all we got because it's like, fam, we're going to be the ones that have our best interests, you know. So I greatly appreciate Dr. Asia coming on to share more about naturopathy and how we can seek out our wellness needs from a natural perspective. So yeah, y'all, please be sure to head over to www.asiamohammed.com to check out her work. And as she said, also check her out on social media. Her IG handle is Muhammad, and her Facebook handle is just Muhammad. And while you're over there on Instagram and Facebook, please also follow me at Shades of Brown Podcast. Please like, share, and engage, all that stuff. And also, please rate, review, and subscribe so that other listeners can find me. I appreciate your support. All right, y'all. Black folks, please remember you are enough and your creation is so divine. Even if you're full of pork chops and macaroni and cheese and cinnamon, please know that I love me some you. So until the next episode, be healthy, be whole, be healed.